Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out People of Product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called PillowCube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to PillowCube.com and getting one for yourself. It sounds like you have a really good understanding of your current audience, which is fantastic. You know, you want to make sure that you're messaging. So I talk about positioning and narrative. That's a little bit different than messaging. The messaging is what's actually on the website. Those are the words you're going to use to reflect your positioning in your overall story that you're trying to take to market. And you want that to be as specific as possible. And so understanding your audience, understand their needs, their wants, their desires, and of course, those struggles. And so tell me how you solve my struggles. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got J.D. Pratter, Global Head of Product Marketing at Amazon Web Services. J.D., thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. So that's a pretty fancy sounding title. What does that actually mean you get to do? (laughs) Yeah, so I work on the AWS Activate team. So Activate out there is a uh, program that we have designed for early stage startups to get started for free on Amazon and then also provide other types of resources and tools to help them develop and really scale out their infrastructure in, in a successful way. So I lead the global product marketing team on that. So that's a program. We also have products that support it. And my job is to help market those things. So everything from messaging to positioning to figuring out uh, what are the best ways that we can reach this audience, what does the audience need, and you know, making sure that everyone across the globe is aligned and working towards these goals. Yeah, and how is it how is it similar or different than being a product manager, product market, <laughs> product marketing manager, Google Fiber? What's similar and what's different? I mean, Amazon's a very different beast than 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 Google. So company structure, company culture is different, but. I'll kind of break it down to a little bit different. So with fiber, you know, fiber is really a bet, a bet within Google. And really they're focused on internet, high speed internet. And so that one feels more like a D to C brand. So it almost feels like a high velocity in trying to figure out how do you win the internet battle? Uh, But they're only in like 20 different cities, right? And so you're very focused 
on regional and local marketing. But at the same time, you kind of need this national feel, right? I'd say another difference is it's also a lot of hardware marketing and figuring out how do you talk about hardware to make it sound cool? How do you make it sexy, right? And a lot of people don't even know and even care. All they want to know is, does it work? Is it fast? And that's what everyone cares about. So you've got to balance those things. You're also coming in as a, a newcomer. You're not the incumbent. The incumbent has been there. And so you're a challenger brand. And so how do you challenge the AT&Ts, the Verizons, the smaller brand that are kind of like more local? How do you challenge them? Right. And so it's a little bit different. It's it's kind of fun. Um, so, yeah, I would say that that part where on the Amazon side of things, it's really, you know, this is a global program. So how do you get early stage startups to even know that you exist? How do you know that they can get started for free? And so it's a slightly different challenge and a slightly different problem because I'm not may not be talking to the direct end user. And so I might just be talking to maybe a startup founder who may not be the CTO or be able to understand the infrastructure backend. So I'd say it's slightly different audiences. And then that also bleeds into when you think, I would say, time to sale, right? A lot of times in internet, you get locked into a contract, right? So it may be a year that you're locked in. The new thing now is no contracts, where Amazon, it's like, I have a startup, I need to get my product up and going. And so those those motions are can be a little bit faster and a little bit quicker. I just need to get started. Let's go. Yeah. Well, before before I ask about Cora, what's what was one of your big takeaways from your time at Google? Oh, man, my big takeaway was they're obsessed with amazing products, understanding the customer and connecting the two. I mean, it's, I've never seen a customer, like a, like an entire org just focused on that. And so it was really impressive to really see how they take a product to market, the amount of time, the amount of effort that goes into something. I mean, your iPhone, right? It's released every year. For a year, these teams are planning and planning and constructing and building, building out the product, building out marketing campaigns, and then it just launches. And it's just an amazing uh, feeling. So coming into that, I would say that was a big takeaway uh, with my time there. Okay. When you when you talk about this, really understanding the customer, what, what's an example of that that maybe people who haven't been there wouldn't, wouldn't realize how in-depth they go? Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is the amount of feedback that they get, right? They're constantly looking at the support tickets. They're constantly surfacing sales objections. And this is locally. I mean, across every single region. And most teams are doing this, right? But they're also just funneling that back in because they're very engineering-led organization back to the engineers. A lot of times that doesn't happen. A lot of times it'll kind of go through uh, maybe someone like me, product marketing, funneling it back into a product manager who then distills it down into a roadmap that the engineers will then work on, where this one is really getting in front of the engineers and the engineers are like, oh, I can solve that. Like, watch this. Boom, boom, boom. Right. And so it's a, it's a slightly different workflow of working backwards from that customer problem, which Amazon does as uh, pretty well too. I mean, mission is to be the most customer obsessed company in the world. And I think they're doing a, a fairly good job when I think about delivering my, getting my, my package next day. That's just amazing. Well, you know, we have Google fiber here in, in Utah and Provo and I've used that before. It's great. 
And, and I knew some of the folks who were over there for a while. And I'm not surprised at the success they've had. It's interesting, that idea, though, of localizing the comments. You know, I think about, you know, have I done enough segmentation? Like, so our real estate investment funds, we sell these like, you know, above average cash flow. You just get your quarterly checks for investing in the fund, right? But am I taking all the feedback and lumping it in together under what investors said? Or like... <laughs> Have I, you know what I mean? Like, have I localized it to the type of investor and, and like literally geography? Like, have I thought like, Hey, this is what, this is what everybody, you know, in the Western U S is saying, these are what our investors in New York are saying. Like, like that's an interesting concept to, to group the feedback and see if there is commonalities in the feedback from people who have commonalities in their backgrounds. Yeah. I mean, and it works really well. They do a lot of like observation trees. If you're familiar with this, it's a way to kind of map those comments and to figure out what to work on. So it's kind of cool to see how they group it, how they then prioritize it. So if you haven't heard of those, go just kind of Google observation trees. It's, it's a really cool way to figure out how to kind of map feedback which leads into a, a really cool kind of hierarchy of, we, we call them more struggles rather than needs. So where people struggling is it's a much more um, impactful motivator than a need. Oh, yeah. So what, what's just one of the basic premises of those observation trees? So imagine you've got 20 pieces of feedback and you're trying to figure out like, what do I do with all this? How do I then prioritize this? How do I know what to work on? You can really start to understand some of the motivation behind it and you start grouping it and you, in, there'll be clear groups that kind of emerge from that. And then from there, you can start to understand what is the actual motivator that is kind of leading to this? Like, what is that struggle? What is that pain point that I'm understanding? And what typically comes out of that is maybe like three to five groupings. And then from there, you can start to say, oh, like I can easily pick apart this one branch of this tree, which will have an, you know direct impact into. So it just kind of is a, as like a layering effect and kind of helps you understand this, you could call it behavioral design, but it's really this grouping of ideas, uh, I should say struggles into bigger struggles, which then is a really cool roadmap, which then gives the engineers prioritization. And then also users are very happy with the outcome. You know, uh, it's so interesting <laughs> that that terminology focusing on struggle. Yeah, you know, I, I have this theory about like human survival, like survival is typically increased the less someone has to struggle, right? Like, why do you think our bodies are like hardwired to eat all these things that like get as many calories in us as quick as possible? Like our taste buds lead us towards like sugar, <laughs> fat, salt, and cholesterol. That's right. right. It's such like, it's such an efficient calorie loading thing. I mean, now that we've got no abundance, it's uh, it's killing us. But yes. for the first thousands of years, it was great if you had to live in the forest or you're like a pioneer pioneer like trying to find new food right as you build your first farm but you think about this idea of like how often if we are willing to genuinely understand a customer struggle and then we're willing to take that struggle on it's crazy how much they'll pay you for that 100 100 right? if you can simplify the struggle i mean you're going to be printing money which i think uh we've seen with google and amazon do really well <laughs> It, it's true. Like our consulting firm, we do a lot of like leadership training and like CEO coaching and executive coaching and stuff. Right. And like, we for sure have been hired when it's like this executive has a really smart, great person who's a handful. And rather than like dealing with the conflict and doing all the mentoring that they need, 
<laughs> they're like, hold on, I can spend the company's money to pawn the hardest part of being a job off on you guys. Yes, <laughs> right? exactly. And, like, <laughs> and like, I mean, they've said things to us before, like, by the way, if you can't turn this person around within six months, we're going to fire them. You're like, thanks, no pressure. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, glad, glad to say that one went well. But so talk to us about Quora. So for starters, for some, for anyone who doesn't know Quora, can you can you understand can you help people understand just like the phenomenon they become and then talk about what you did there? Yeah, so Cora is best, you know, thought about, you know, question and answer platform, right? I mean, it's the simplest, easiest way to kind of understand it. A way to really think through is categorizing knowledge. You know, how do you become the Alexandria library of knowledge, right? And really how we kind of thought through a lot of things was, you know, you have all this knowledge that's trapped inside your brain. There's knowledge in my books that are on my bookshelf and they're in magazines, but like, how do you get it out of your head and into a place that's scalable, but also that's accessible to anyone that has like, you know, access to the internet. And so that's really the idea and the premise around Quora. And they do that through question and answer. So... <clears throat> My my role there was leading the product marketing for, on their business side. So the business side for Quora was an ads platform. So just like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Google, they, they all monetize through advertising. And my job was to come in after they had just released out of beta and then take this full you know, products, this suite of products to market. How do you attract new advertisers? How do you generate demand? How do you make sure that they're successful? And those are the kind of the core things that I worked on there. Yeah. What's one of your big takeaways from that time? Oh, big takeaways for me was a lot of fun working in a product-led company. So that would be a product-led where you know, Google be engineering-led, Amazon be more sales-led. They were really product-led. And I think for me, I really enjoy product-led companies. I, I just enjoy the day-to-day the -day a little bit more. You're a little bit more embedded with the product team. And the product team is, I don't know, I, I have fun with them. They're just a good group of people to kind of think through and prioritization, stack ranking products. And you really get to see the back end of like how products are actually made. And then you really get to think through like, how do you take that to market? And so that's a pretty fun takeaway. And then probably uh, another good takeaway for me was just being able to reposition the ads platform that led to a pretty, I would say a, a pretty good ex explosion in growth where you know, it's something you can like kind of hang your hat on. And that was a, a really fun experiment and seeing the outcome of that. What, what did you, what did you do to reposition it? So when I was, when I came on at Cora, there was a lot of Facebook and Google DNA in the, you know, just you, you kind of share <laughs> engineers as you do in Silicon Valley. And so a lot of people had come over from there. And so the, the natural inclination was, those are our competitors where, so you had this duopoly, Facebook and Google, where 70% of ad spend goes. Now, the problem with that was that wasn't true in our customers' eyes. In our customers' eyes, you're never going to get Google and Facebook budget. You can't scale. You don't have the ad platform, the maturity of them. However, we do see you as like a second tier ad platform and kind of a experimentation ad platform. Therefore, you're really competing maybe with Reddit, maybe with LinkedIn. That was an unlock right there. That was a huge unlock because now you can position the ads platform to really say, look, 
Reddit doesn't really have a great program ads platform for performance marketers. Oh, we do. LinkedIn, do you really want to pay 10 or $15 for a mobile click? Come over here and pay $2, right? And so we kind of leaned into that, but we also got to lean into a lot of what people come to Core to do. And that is to evaluate, to get answers. This is a consideration. So this is a high intent user that's coming to their place your ad there. So we kind of got to really leverage these mental models of being search and social while being this kind of mid funnel. And that's really where we positioned the ad platform. So not awareness, not, not like I'm ready to make a purchase. I'm doing a Google search. It's like I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm competing for LinkedIn and I'm competing for Reddit dollars. And that was a big unlock. Oh, interesting. And, and tell everybody about your podcast as well, what we're going yeah. through the list. Oh, so the podcast that I'm, I'm hosting, it's called Thrills and Chills. It's all about being the first product marketer at a company. And so it's really about how do you establish a new function at a company? What are those things that you should be doing? And of course, you're going to hear amazing stories from some of the best and brightest product marketers at some of the biggest companies out there, but also at some of the smallest companies out there, seed stage, series A. And you're going to be able to compare and contrast those differences in what they're doing, but also get a really good understanding of, do I have what it takes to be that first product marketer at a company? And those are the thrills and chills that you're going to hear about. Well, I want to talk more about this, but maybe I'll ask one question now. So we're looking at, you know, for 80 something years, it was illegal in this country to advertise for a private investment. Okay. And then the Jobs Act came in. Now there's equity crowdfunding. So like we're doing a we're doing a Reg D 506C offering right now, which means I can advertise to anybody, but I can only take money from accredited investors, right? Okay. So like I'm literally like GraystokeInvestments.com. Like it's not just taking people golfing and asking for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like I can take I, I have like no minimum investment as long as you're you know make two hundred grand a year worth a million. Okay which I know is a small percentage of the population, but it's so much of a larger population than people I know to take to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay? yeah. Right. So as we're thinking about this for the first time of like, like we literally want to turn our website into the number one salesperson in the company. But just like have every question anybody's ever asked at a sales meeting, just have the answers right there. And just like try to do everything we can to build trust and help them realize like, oh, my partner's been doing this since 1985. And our CEO has done $2 billion worth of acquisitions. And like try to get to this point where essentially like it's it's more like a fintech company than a traditional real estate fund. Yeah. Being complete newbies to that. I mean, we obviously observe, we read books, but you know, treat treat us like we don't know anything. What are the very first things that you tell somebody like us to point in the right direction? Well, I, first off, I would say I'm glad that you want your website to be that. I think that's incredibly important. I think your website should reflect your current positioning and your narrative. So I think 100% make it that. Uh, second piece is, it sounds like you have a really good understanding of your current audience, which is fantastic. You know, you want to make sure that you're messaging. So I talk about positioning and narrative. That's a little bit different than messaging. The messaging is what's actually on the website. Those are the words you're going to use to reflect your positioning in your overall story that you're trying to take to market. And you want that to be as specific as possible. And so understanding your audience, understand their needs, their wants, their desires, and of course, those struggles. And so tell me how you solve my struggle. Um, and just kind of understand, like, what are those things that they need to see? So you mentioned trust. Trust is a really important thing. It's also important for developers. When I'm doing developer marketing, 
they'll sniff out anything that isn't true. So if I go in, I start testing your product and it's not true, I'm done. You've lost my trust. You're not going to get it back, right? And so in your case, the trust isn't so much the product, it's the people behind the product. I need to know that I can trust them. And you do that through, you know, whether that's social proof or status or things that you've accomplished. Well, yeah. again, I really like that you reuse the word struggle because I just know how powerful it is when, <laughs> when somebody makes life easy for me and I can possibly afford it, yeah. <laughs> I push the easy button, right? You know, we had Steve Blank on the show in the fall and all of his, like the lean startup and everything that came out of what he taught, right? And, and he, he really made me think deeper about like, kind of like, hey, Jess, quit pitching and start interviewing more, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, I, and just you saying that makes me think like, because we've been doing that and it's been like amazingly insightful instead of just pitching our friends and these entrepreneurs we know and these rich people, right? It's like, we've been asking more instead of telling. Yeah. It's gone so much better. But I haven't thought about the question, like, what, what is your, like, I never thought about the specific question. What do you struggle with around this stuff? Like, what's nice for me is like, mine is independently verifiable of like, we pay a higher, we pay a higher amount of income than most real estate funds that exist, right? That part's nice of like, they can just look at the math, right? But they still have to trust that we can keep doing this. They right. have to trust that that we're not like Bernie Madoff or something. Do you know what I mean? That it's really coming from where <laughs> sure. it's coming from. Sure. You know, which makes me think like we probably need to have videos of our actual sites. We probably need to have ways for them to like verify title. Like we yeah. just need to like treat them like they're ultra skeptical and for the trust side. But but on that struggle side, like it does make me think like I wonder what some of their answers would be because I'm just I'm hyper focused on we can pay you a higher income than you can probably get elsewhere. But by not asking, I don't know what else is related to that. What else we could be? Because there's probably other things. I mean, one of the things we have been thinking about is like a lot more education. Like it took us two decades of to like get to where we're at following Warren Buffett principles. Like we could have learned that faster if somebody would have packaged it differently. Sure. So like, you know, maybe that's a service we can be doing for people. I don't know. What, what's yeah. your reaction when I say that? Oh, so I'm a big believer in jobs to be done. Uh, I think it's a great framework. Check it out. But it really comes down to a couple of things like is that unmet goal. And I think if you can understand those unmet goals for your target audience, it's going to point you down the path towards a lot of things. And so really trying to figure out, you know, what are those catalysts, right? What is the conflict? And you're ultimately that you are the resolution, you are the solution. And so, you know, you can test out a bunch of different web pages pretty easily to see if you can understand them. But 100% agree. You got to interview. I mean, we do interviews all the time here at AWS. So it's another thing that's slightly different than Google, where I wasn't able to like interview customers as easily as I can here at AWS. It's slightly different. But the amount of information that we get in and there, I mean, that helps me with positioning. It helps me with messaging. It helps me understand that problem that go like, why did you hire AWS? Right. And so being able to figure that part out and then I'll kind of just quickly say most of the time, what you'll hear is I would ask them two things, like ask them, like ask them need and struggle where the, ask them the same sentence where the only thing you change is the word need. And the other one is struggle. A couple of things you'll find out. Most people will give you longer answers for struggle, you know, which is what we've seen. And then we've also seen most of them will frame it as a need. <laughs> so that's also kind of funny. You know, what do you struggle with? Well, I need a better this, right? And you're like, go a little deeper, right? And so you can get into the why, why. I don't know if you've heard of the five whys. Just yeah, keep yeah. asking whys, right? And you'll get to 
a, a pretty good, almost like first principles way of operating and thinking through this problem. And that way your messaging comes out really crisp. I understand it. And you understand too, maybe the transparency piece, maybe it's a, a link to my LinkedIn. Go check me out. I'm real. I'm on LinkedIn. There's a picture of me. Here's my resume. Here's my CV. Here's what I've accomplished, right? Maybe it's a web page, you know? And so, you know, just kind of thinking through different things, but I'm not as familiar with this target audience as you are. So these are just kind of, I would say, general frameworks that I would think through. Well, but you're pushing me. You know, we had we had Bob Mesta on the show who, you know, brought the Jaws to be done framework to Clayton Christensen, right? In fact, I just was emailing him last week. He's coming back on. I'm excited. I'm, I'm such a fan. Oh, nice. But, but just as you say that, I think like, I'm not sure I have been bold enough in some of those interviews because I asked them, have you bought real estate in the past? Why? If not, Why? What do you think of this during that? And I and I like what I took away from Bob is like, what did you do last time? You know, is like a really good indicator of things instead of trying yep. to get people to predict their future. But what I'm not sure, like, because it's so obvious, like I want to make money, like I I want to make, you know, like, hey, if a if a publicly traded REIT pays three and a half percent these days and a private real estate investment trust pays four to six. And you can, you might be able to pay me double digit. Like, I just want the money like that. Right. But I'm not sure that I've been bold enough to say like, but why, why because, do you want the money? Because, like, what are you going to do yeah, with like, it? Right. They're already kind of wealthy sure. and money It's kind of like money in politics. You're like, you're supposed to like be tread carefully. Right. But like, <laughs> I don't know that I need to, like, I should, I probably like, if they're willing to share, oh, I just bought this and like, they really do get quite open and share a lot of personal information. Like, why aren't I asking, like, what's the finish line look like? What do you, you know, where, where are you trying to get to? What, what do you think is going to get you? Like, I could be a little more destination specific as well. And then go to jobs to be done of the, like, you know, why are we even talking? Why do you think what I'm showing you could even get you to that destination? Get it in their words. And I probably should just be a little more bold on that destination part. Yeah. I mean, I think I would try to get to the emotion part. And that's really because emotion sells, right? That's really why you make decisions, right? Go read Thinking Fast and Slow, right? 90% of our decisions are emotional, right? Even when it comes down to making money. Making money isn't really it. There's more to it. It's I want to leave an inheritance. I want to provide for my kids. I want to, right? That's really what you want to do. That's the <laughs> job to be done, right? And so it's thinking through making that the messaging, right? How do you how do you bring that incorporated into the website? <laughs> that is so funny because right now we're considering like two of the things that are in our acquisition pipeline. One's in Southern Idaho and one's in Hawaii. They pay the exact same, and you can't believe how much more interested people are in the Hawaii one. <laughs> like, like your check is not going to come in a different color because we made the money in Hawaii, right? Right. It just sounds better. Like I'm picturing Maui. I'm picturing the beach. Right. You're just like Hawaii. Right. Yeah. Tropical. Yeah. Well, listen, let's, I actually want to come back to some of this stuff, but I want to go to AWS. So for people who hear the term AWS and don't even realize that Amazon Web Services and AWS are the same thing. Yeah. Okay? Like, yeah. For the non-tech people listening today, what actually is Amazon Cloud? What is AWS? What like, like <laughs> in, in the most basic form? It's really what's powering everything. <laughs> so, so in the in the most basic form, it's it's cloud computing, right? And what it really means is you have, let's put it this way, you're renting versus buying. That's really what it comes down to. When you can rent, you can move quicker, you can move faster, it's a little cheaper versus 
uh, the cost of ownership. And the cost of ownership comes into a lot of different things. The cloud computing side of things, it's also pay for what you use. A lot of times when you have your own server, so this is kind of what we call on-premise, you know, this is you may have to spin up a bunch of different data centers or a bunch of different servers to power all of this in the back end. And you may not even end up using it all. And it's also extremely expensive where you can spend a fraction of the cost to get started and to move quicker. And so we, this is ultimately what Amazon spun up for themselves back, you know, 20 plus years ago. And they said, Oh, actually this, this is pretty cool. We could actually sell this. And now it's it's a huge huge part of AW, of Amazon's you know revenue. It, it is crazy when you hear the estimates of what people think the valuation of AWS. Like if it's if it ever separates from Amazon, yeah, what AWS will be worth on its own are just pretty mind boggling numbers. Yes, it's. I would love to see what you know what that could look like. I mean, we have no plans you know to ever do that, but yeah, as a, as a stockholder, you're always like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Well, when you when you think about uh, a startup who's listening today, let's start with this. I'm thinking like we have huge amounts of video because of we're a media company, mm -hmm. right? We have huge amounts of video and we've been thinking about like, should we be looking at alternative storage options uh. or should we be looking at, you know, because we've got we've got staff in Utah, Hawaii, Western Canada and the Philippines. Yep. Right. You know, should we be doing everything on Google Drive? Is there or, or our Adobe cloud or should we be looking at AWS for other things? You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good question. It's it kind of really depends on your needs. Right. I mean, of course, AWS has storage. You know, we have that availability for you. And again, use only what you need. So a lot of times these other storage places, right? Like maybe it's Google Drive, right? It's like you're buying a certain amount, 50 gigs, 100 gigs, a terabyte, whatever it may be, where with, again, with Amazon, it's you only pay, if you're only using 45 gigs, why pay for 50, right? And so you can remove something, you put it back on, right? And so, yeah, I think that, you know, there's databases that you can, or sorry, I should say data warehouses where you can drop in these huge types of, and then of course you can make it accessible to anyone. And then another cool thing that I like is like, a, you can do like a CDN, a content delivery network, and that allows it to be quicker, right? So you could have a data warehouse in the Philippines. So if you have users in the Philippines, they could access it and move a little bit quicker because, we all know that adds up into revenue whenever things move quicker. <laughs> yeah. You know, another thought, we, we've had a number of AI experts on recently, and it's becoming like somewhat less intimidating to me to think, oh, yeah, we could probably use prediction engines. Like yeah. we have like 600 episodes. And even though I'm always shocked, we have somebody like, oh, I really like this show. So I went back and listened to all of your episodes. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. It's less common. So yeah. Why don't we have a prediction engine that is saying, hey, well, people who really liked Bob Mesta and Steve Blank also really like J.D. Pratter. Yeah. You, you got you to get his episode, too. Or, you know, we're going to all these Warren Buffett classes we want to teach, like, you know, customized, individualized learning plan. Like, we really feel like the most educated investor is going to be the best investor, like the best investment partner for us. Right. Right. And so instead of like convincing them we're we're doing good things if we can just teach them to see how Warren Buffett sees things we just believe they'll see why we're doing what we're doing you know what i mean like we sure. don't have to convince them of stuff so 
can we create like AI engines that, that like make the learning curve more fun, more interesting, more personalized stuff like this? If I want to create products like either of those, is AWS helpful in in trying to pursue like you know AI? miniature AI applications? Yeah. I mean, you can easily come in and I say easily, maybe not easily for like you and me. You'd probably want to be somewhat technical to come in. But yeah, we do have those services where you can come in and really kind of learn based off of that information. And so there's a couple of different ways, you know, to the common user, right? You have 600 plus episodes, right? There's a ton of content out there. And before we used to just kind of tag it. Right. So imagine each episode has five tags right now. Imagine a machine can learn that information and tag it automatically. And then, you know, it's almost becomes like a YouTube where it becomes an algorithm and it starts to learn. Okay, you like this. You spend X amount of time listening to this episode. Right. You will probably like this. And then it learns the next user comes in. Right. And so the more data you can feed it, the faster it can learn and the better that predictability gets. And so there's definitely some different services that you can use at AWS to kind of spin those up. A quick Google search will get you to the right product pretty fast. And help us understand specifically what AWS Activate is. So Activate is a program for early stage startups. So you need to be series A and below. So you're really looking at the seed stage. You know, you're really thinking about bootstrapped companies, but not above the series A. Founded within the last 10 years. And we kind of have some other different criteria that we look at as well, but that'll really kind of be the main ones to think through. If that sounds like you, come apply for Activate. We have two programs. We have our portfolio and our founders. Our founders is for our bootstrapped, no you know venture capital backing behind it. And then our portfolio is our you know venture backed type of startups. And from there, the main differences there is how many credits you can access. So portfolio can access up to $100,000 in AWS credits, where uh, founders is up to 100000 or sorry, up to 1000 for founders, 100000 for portfolio. So what's an example? As a founder, I've started a new business. You know, I apply, you guys accept me. What are, what are typical uses of the, well, A, what does a credit mean? And then B, what are you, typical uses? Yeah, so it's a, it's a two-year program. And you can use it on almost every AWS product to offset your bill. So it's a, it's a one-to-one kind of dollar ratio. So in the, the next two years, if you're spinning up uh, an EC2 instance and you've got a Redshift database and that costs money, well, these credits can be used to offset that bill until you either expire them at the two-year mark or you exhaust them. And then from there... You can take advantage of some other credit programs that AWS offers, depending on the type of startup that you're focus that you are. And then we also have other programs for startups that kind of more mature and kind of help you get started. But we've had some really great startups come out of the program, some little ones that you may have heard of called Stripe, Reddit, right? And so uh, a lot of cool startups have come out of this program and have seen a lot of great success. All right, bad. And so. For people not familiar, what are some of the AWS products? Oh, there's like 200 plus. So yeah, what are, what are some of the more popular ones for, for a founder, for a, a pre-seed a pre-seed founder? What are some of the more popular ones? Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to want a data warehouse, right? So thinking about that, we've got a lot of people coming in with the ML AI 
So understanding like SageMaker, getting in and playing around with that. I know there's a lot of names like this. You probably want some like CloudFront for security, right? And so it's just kind of thinking through what is your use case? Are you a mobile app? Are you a kind of SaaS product? Are you a real estate, you know, FinTech? And so all these different types of companies have different types of use cases. And so we're trying to help startups figure out which ones to use. Cause I mean, there's 200, like, how do you know all their names? And so we have our, one of our products is the activate console. And so we take information that you've given us. We take your AWS service information and then we show you in the recommendation feed, it looks kind of like a, a LinkedIn or a Facebook news feed. And we're showing you the best content to help you either get started or some cost optimization tips. Because again, there's other products that help you with like saving money, like a savings plan, right? So you can pay like a, a one year or three year plan and it reduces your cost by like 75%. And so buy in bulk, if you know you're going to be around, but again, not all early stage startups know they're going to be around <laughs> in three years. But yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about marketing to entrepreneurs. When you, when you think about this role that you've got, what do you find effective? <sighs> this is a really good question. I mean, effective looks like a lot of different things, but what we found to be pretty good, I would say kind of works. I mean, we're always learning and growing and adapting and evolving. But right now, we are really lucky because AWS is so well known. Just market share for you know that kind of uh, mental capacity. Everyone knows that. But whenever we think through entrepreneurs, what we found to be really well is kind of connecting them with other entrepreneurs. So almost this community, a word of mouth, but also get to learning from each other. We've actually found that to be extremely effective. So this could be a meetup. You know, maybe we're sponsoring it. Maybe we're putting it on. Again, this is, you know, COVID. Now it's all virtual. And so we found that to be really good. We've also found that entrepreneurs want a lot of help in getting started. And so we've really invested in the front end to make sure that they're getting started, getting the help and getting the support that they need from our cloud experts to really help them get started. So I know that that doesn't sound like a marketing tactic, but it is because I'm trying to reduce that struggle that I know is going to happen of I'm so overwhelmed. I'm a team of five. I don't really want to deal with this right now. I just want it to work, which is kind of what we all want, even like our Google Fiber. But how do, okay, cool. Like, let me help you get onboarded. Here's a three hour session and we're just going to walk through. And it's almost that one-to-one -one guidance and personalization where it doesn't scale well but it's extremely effective in helping you get stuck in and getting effect started while reducing that barrier that other other competitors probably don't have yet i also yet <laughs> i'm sure they'll, they'll they'll catch on soon and then lastly i would say i know i said like uh, meetups but we also have big events and so our bigger events have been really effective at attracting entrepreneurs because we're getting those like big name speakers, right? You bring in the big name speakers and that typically helps attract some, uh, some entrepreneurs that are wanting to learn from them, right? So you've mentioned Warren Buffett. Imagine if Warren Buffett was speaking at an event, 
I'm probably going to go. Right. And so we, we tried to make sure we try to like map those out and we kind of break those events down into different sectors. So it could be a fintech event and you get a big name fintech person, right? Or if you're doing, you know, public policy, you're doing government, right? And you can kind of see how we would just break those down into different industries. Yeah. When you think about like getting somebody to show up to an event that's got this great speaker versus now like getting them into the pipeline. So maybe you got their email address because they registered, but but going from the like, I've got your email address to like them legitimately on a path of nurturing. What do you feel like is is helpful there? Like we've all given away an ebook and yeah. gotten an email address and then never had anything else to do with <laughs> yeah. them. Right. 100%. So like, okay, I, I have successfully secured their email address or I have, you know, I've successfully, whatever, connected on LinkedIn through some form or something, right? That like from there to starting the nurturing process, what do you feel like has, has worked in the past? Yeah. And this is where, you know, we, we work in partnership with our, with our other like startup teams, Right. So our startup team is really helping to drive demand. And so they're really kind of owning that nurture stream where activate is kind of that call to action and then activate where then nurturing you. And then the call to action is other startup programs. So we look at it. I mean, it could be a five year nurture, very different than 30, 60, 90 day nurtures. And so I just want to preface yeah. that because that yeah, is very sure. different than a yeah, a lot, you know, Google Fiber was much quicker. Quora was much quicker. And so for us, we looked through a couple of different things and we tried to help them in a couple of different ways. It's, I mentioned the the event, for example, we do it by industry. And so that helps us understand you're interested. So I'm going to mention FinTech. Cool, you're a FinTech. Hey, check out these other resources about FinTech that we have. And so it just kind of this starts and we're starting to understand more about you, right? Did you open the email? Did you click on the email? Did you unsubscribe? Which are all possible things. And so from there, we tried to really kind of get more personalized as we learn more about you. But we have a pretty good cadence of what that nurture stream will look like. And hopefully it's not bombarding you. I do apologize if you get too many AWS emails, which is another problem. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about personalization. Yeah. For people who just haven't done that before, they said, well, well, that's our, that's our drip marketing. Yeah. You know, or like, or they're like, they have never done drip marketing. They're like, well, I sent them the newsletter. What do you mean personalized? <laughs> I'm going to write separate newsletters for people. Okay. So yeah. can you give an example of personalization? Like, I'm the fintech guy. I, you know, I came, you know, like we just had a Utah company, Alex Bean, who's been on the show, just sold last week. He sold Divi to Bill Pay, Bill.com for two and a half billion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So my buddy says, Hey, I'm speaking this thing. I go to it. It ends up you guys are the ones that put it on. You now got my email. I, I click on the next things you send me. What's an example of personalization or what, like, what are you trying to figure out from me, a fintech guy? And then what are you going to do different? Yeah, so we look at personalization a couple of different ways. I'll say it kind of up front. The more obvious ones, well, we do our best to localize those. So if you're not a native English speaker, we hope that you're receiving it in a language that you are, that is your native language based off your preference, right? So if you have changed it in AWS to maybe Spanish, hopefully that email is Spanish. We're also looking at it at a regional level. 
right? So if you're in, you know, Park City, Utah, right, you're going to be part of our North America audience, where that would be different than our, you know, maybe our EMEA audience, maybe in Europe, you know, and this is tailoring it to just different case studies and examples, maybe. So we know that there's a different set of problems and a different way that they do fintech. Well, sure. Right? Fintech regulations are going to be different <laughs> way different. country to country. That, that seems obvious. Yeah. Okay. So then once you're in the US, you're like, okay, Jess is an American. He's got to deal with the, the US <laughs> the US rigs. Right. And he has been watching our videos, but it doesn't seem like he clicks on our eBooks or maybe that's not the right information to be helpful to you. What, what is helpful to you? Yeah. I mean, eventually we're going to try to push it to a form. I mean, this is I know you've already given us your information, but the form will be different. It's more of like a progressive form and so that the that the form learns more about you. So the fields change based off what information we have. And we're just trying to complete that profile so we know more about you to offer you the best possible answer. So eventually, you know, right, this could be a couple of things. Either you get started at Activate, maybe you, maybe you don't, maybe you, that's not you. But based off all these actions, you're also in the background, you're uh, accumulating a score. You may not know this. This is pretty yeah, much... lead score. Yeah. So, okay. So there's also lead scoring going on. If you're watching these videos, you're opening, you're downloading things. Eventually, you're going to have someone call you um, or someone from the sales team is going to reach out. And they're really going to try to understand and qualify you. And that's really where marketing and sales kind of are doing a handoff. If you're not ready, you go back into the, the marketing nurture emails and we're going to probably try to get you to another event, maybe to another webinar. And it just takes time. Like where Amazon plays the long game. Hopefully we're not annoying you. Hopefully you find the content useful. So that way when you do go to make that decision, Amazon is top of mind, right? But at the if you if the salesperson says, hey, actually, you know, like Jess is ready to go. He just needed some some help. We're going to pass you off into get you in probably with an account manager or solutions architect to really kind of understand and identify how to get you started. So that's kind of a very simplified lead scoring and the marketing, the sales to like solution architect handoff. But and that was very accelerated, too. We fully realized this. This is a long, long game. I love that. Well, listen, for folks who are interested in growing a skill set in product marketing. Maybe they're a founder, maybe not, but are there are there books or blogs or YouTube videos or who, who do you like? Yeah, so go check out Product Marketing Alliance. So fantastic um, resource there, tons of blogs nearly every day. They have an amazing Slack community, you know, probably roughly 15,000 people in their Slack community, product marketers, and they're asking questions, they're giving resources, they're giving advice. So hands down, one of the best. Go check out sharebird.com. It's like a Quora for product marketers. So it's all Q&A. And then they have an AMA where they have some of the best, you know, and brightest product marketers, and you can kind of learn how they think about messaging or product launches. So kind of a little bit more tactical, but it's really cool. To and is see. it all digital product marketing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, well, I should say it's different, right? I mean, there are some, there's software, there's hardware people on there, but you'll get a pretty good sense of mostly the background of product marketing. And then if you're looking for a book, I mean, right now, probably the the best book on the market is obvious. Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. So go check that out. It walks through product marketing and then how to position your product. And she has about a five-step framework that she will walk you through. I would say it's really good for SaaS companies in particular. And I would even say it's probably better if you already have a product in market 
versus bringing one, you know, fresh. That said, I do think the framework will definitely be a really good one to walk through if you are bringing a new brand new product to market. But just want to preface it. Would you have another book that you would recommend instead for people who are trying to decide what the product should even be? <laughs> oh, wow. Or, uh, or like, you know, maybe they have a sense of what the product should be, but they haven't started at all yet. Haven't started at all. Wow. For product marketing, probably, I would probably recommend go read some product manager books. <laughs> so there's product school that you can check out. There's some like, that's a whole website and community as well. I think those are better to get you like the the frameworks that you're going to need to think about even developing a product and how do you get teams aligned? What are the goals of the product and where product marketing can help with all that? But it's really kind of owning the go-to-market strategy where the product team is really uh, as far as building the product. So, I mean, you mentioned Lean Startup. I think Lean Startup is a really good one when you're thinking through building a company and then... That's another good one that I really like. Uh, product. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably where I would start. Okay. Yeah. Lastly, I know we're kind of out of time here. What's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? <laughs> I would say one of the best ones I just got from actually doing the, well, I, I have a bunch, but uh, I'll give you two. Sorry. Let me, let me, let me start over. I'm gonna give you two. One of them is be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's a really hard thing. I didn't understand it the first time I was ever told that. First time I was told that, I was like, you're an idiot. Why would you ever tell me that? It just made me upset. Now that I've matured, <laughs> and I'd say matured, it's 10 years later. It's like, oh, that's what that meant. Okay. And then the second one kind of bleeds into that is also you have to be comfortable letting some fires burn. And so hmm. knowing- th Tell me about that. There's only so much fires that you can prioritize, right? So it's like, well, that's on fire, that's on fire, that's on fire. And you have to be comfortable saying, I'm gonna let that burn for a little, little while longer because I have to go take care of this. And so it's that one's also a hard thing to learn. And to, But I think once you kind of been, been given that permission and that advice- it makes a lot more sense and you can kind of say, okay, I don't need to be working 15, 20 hour days or, you know, hundred hour weeks. It's what can I, what do I need to focus on and really let some things burn and get to it later. That's great advice. Well, listen, thanks for doing this. We got to put a shout out to our mutual friend, AJ Wilcox yeah. at B2Link that made this happen for us. And have you written a book? I have not. We are in the talks about turning thrills and chills, maybe after like uh, four seasons to turning those learnings in those frameworks into a book, but we'll see. So you're hearing it first. If we ever do it, we can come back and say, look, it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, this has been great. Thanks for coming on the show and consider yourself part of the Greystoke family. As soon as you get that book written, come back on the show and tell us about it. I will. I will. Thanks again. Okay. Bye everyone. <laughs>